Welcome to Chapters of Motherhood. This is a weekly podcast about this hashtag mom life that is motherhood with all the struggles, chaos, and true blessings that come with the title mom. I am your host, Veronica. At 17 years old, I became a mom for the first time. And at 41, I had a water birth for my fifth baby. The goal of this podcast is to share with you my motherhood experience and hopefully help you realize that you are not alone in your own mom life journey. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, working mom, or a single mom, from potty training struggles, bedtime snuggles, and everything in between, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I share your frustrations and your joys. Every week is a different chapter of motherhood. Welcome back to another episode of Chapters of Motherhood. I am your host, Veronica, and today we are joined by Jennifer Archibald, the owner and founder of Cornerstone Learning Academy. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for making time for me. Yes. So I met you on Facebook, actually. Yeah, we sure did. It was funny because, you know, I, I'm a homeschool mom and you had mentioned that you were a school teacher that quit her job to become a homeschool mom as well because of everything that was happening. And then not too long afterwards, you started a whole school. So I wanted to um, catch up with you and see how this whole thing developed for you, how easy and how hard it's been. But because this is motherhood, we want to start with your journey to motherhood. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I first I was born and raised in Boise, Idaho. So I've lived here my entire life, although I've gotten a chance to travel a lot. I was raised here. I became a mother in my late 20s. And um, I was a single mom. My my first child's um, dad was in college becoming a dentist when um, I was pregnant with her. So um, he was away through her first couple years. And, um, you know, I had her had her in 2011. So my first baby's name is Savannah and she's 10 now. <laughs> I can't believe it. She's going to, she's going to be 11 um, this spring. And I also have a little boy named Jack. I had after I married my husband and he also has two girls that I get to be a bonus mom for um, named Dana and Jenna. So um, we have a family of four with four kiddos and I, you know, I really, my journey to motherhood has been, you know, ups and downs, which I think every, <laughs> every mom probably has a lot of those ups and downs. Um, but I really love being a mom. I love being a teacher and I feel like I've really hit my, my niche, I guess you could say. Oh, that's wonderful. So when you were staying at home, did you homeschool all four children? No. So, I mean, originally I wasn't homeschooling. I kind of, um, well, to say it simply got kind of forced into homeschooling last year with the craziness that was going on with the school districts in, in Idaho. And, um, but I am a teacher. I've been in education for 17 years. Actually, it's my 18th. <laughs> um, I started when I was in college, actually, um, to become a sign language interpreter. I was working as a, an aide in a resource room and a substitute teacher. And I really loved that. And I became a sign language interpreter for several years in the school districts. I worked West Ada School District and Boise School District. And I really loved that. Um, I've owned a few businesses, um, but I put all that aside to go back to school to get my uh, teaching certificate. And I've been teaching for the last several years in West Ada. Um, And that's kind of where I was at when um, COVID hit and we had kind of our lives turned upside down. Right. So when the pandemic first hit for you, I think pretty much like everybody experienced the same thing. I don't know if it was the same for you, but 
you were, you know, happily sending the kids to school, attending mm-hmm. your job as well. And then suddenly the news hit on Friday afternoon. Okay. We're going to shut down for two weeks. Yep. How did that go? <laughs> you know, it's kind of, um, that year was a little bit crazy for me because I had also needed a back surgery during that year. And so I, I had been out of school <laughs> for a couple months recovering from a back, uh, a serious back fusion in my lower spine. Um, and so I hadn't been back to school and I had finally got back into the classroom and I was really excited. I just had finished my last week or excuse me, my first week back and there was just this talk and whispers of COVID because it hadn't hit Idaho. I mean, we really didn't see a lot of cases. We hadn't seen a lot of cases at this point. And I had a student ask me what, what I thought about COVID. And, you know, I ultimately had really just heard about it that, that week getting back because I'd been at home for, uh, you know, several months recovering. And I, I remember saying to the student, which is kind of in hindsight, kind of funny, but I remember saying, it's, it's no big thing. Let's get back to work. Let's get back to English. Let's not worry about that. <laughs> and on Monday, we went back in school. And so I, I remember trying to keep it as normal for my kids as possible because my kids were are, you know, still pretty young. So we did a lot of walking to our park that's in our neighborhood. And I tried to keep the news um, to a minimum in the morning when it was I was just awake <laughs> and they were uh, asleep so that we could just say, you know, be back soon. We'll, we'll work it out and, you know, give as few details as possible, hoping for the best. But it came to a point ultimately when we had to tell them that we didn't know when we were going back to school and we were, we didn't have curriculum at home, but after about a month, I think it was close to a month, West Ada finally put something together for a virtual um, something virtual that we could offer to students and students that didn't have a computer, we had packets for them so that we could try to finish out the school year. But I remember it taking at least four, maybe maybe even up to six weeks before we started that. And um, so I was in limbo for a lot of that time, not not having a really any job to do, still having a job, but not having any direction on what we needed to do to help our students that, that weren't in the classroom. And then not having a lot of resources for my own students at home, we started off with homeschooling pretty slow those first few weeks, just trying to keep it normal, uh, feel like more of a, like it's weekend, it's a weekend, and trying to keep that as much for the kids as possible like that, because it, um, I know it was stressful for everybody. Right. So as a teacher yourself, how did that experience go over with your students? Like, was that something like, oh, I can handle this? Like, I'm sure you had that thought, well, we can handle this, but then it went on. <laughs> so what were your yeah. thoughts as that went on uh, coming well, into the new school year? Well, I mean, definitely while that first year of COVID 2020, um, it was a lot more, I'm going to say, uh, I knew that a lot of students would be fine with getting packets and they'd be able to complete them. But I knew that the majority of my students wouldn't be able to get, you know, the packets back or weren't equipped to have a full day of, you know, learning on the Internet. And I knew a lot of my students didn't have the best family life at home, you know, so I, I, you know, we had a lot of various students in various places. And so that was kind of hard to deal with, too, because I knew that even though we were trying to give an equitable learning environment where everybody was getting the same resources and we had the same expectations, um, it wasn't it wasn't ultimately very feasible. Um, and so we didn't, we didn't really collect the work from the students. We just gave it out as a resource. And I felt like the, the students were going to probably be very disrupted in their, in the next year coming in. And, uh, you know, I saw that a lot with students having gaps in learning and 
which we did, we did try to accommodate that, you know, as teachers, because I, I did go back that next year. So I went back for the 2020-21 school year. I did, okay. I did go back to West Ada. And I, I, we did try to prepare students by doing a lot of assessments to gauge where they were, where the learning loss was, and we tried to fill in those gaps. But that was a hard year with a lot of other mandates and requirements that had gone through. And ultimately, it was that year that, that led me to, you know, create Cornerstone with a lot of the things that happened in the classroom and um, in my building and some of the requirements that they put on, on students and parents. Okay. So when you returned back, how much of what the students missed out from the previous year to reassessing them to this year. And then on top of all those mandates, like, how was that for you? That is like, what did well, you see? What yeah, was your observation? Was really because we, when we started the next year, which was when I went back, we didn't go back into the classroom until the next year. And we were only in half and half. So we'd get half our students on one day and half of our students the next day. And not only did we have to assess to find out where these students were, but we were going one-to-one um, laptop um, per student ratio. So each student had their own laptop. So we, they, you know, the first month I was teaching students how to use Teams. Luckily, I already knew how to use that program pretty, uh, you know, seamlessly because I had used it in previous years teaching. But there was a lot of me te- helping te- other teachers learn how to use Teams because they had never used it. And so... Um, Students would be going to a classroom like mine where I had a little bit of knowledge with how to use use it and teach it to them to another teacher in the, another period that had very little background in teams and was struggling to, to understand how to use it effectively. And they we had to, though, because we would have students half the time that were at home and that had to use a computer to log into our classrooms. And so a lot of learning, I felt, was lost with teaching technology, assessing and trying to figure out what we were going to do with what we were given, you know, from the previous year's learning loss. So, yeah, I feel like it was a big struggle for all teachers. And, you know, I I just happened to be kind of lucky because I had a little bit of technology background. Yeah, because I know from on my side as a as a mom, as a parent, it's like you get very frustrated and then you're like, well, what are the teachers doing? But it's you guys were in the same boat where it's like, we don't know what we're doing. We don't have the direction. We don't have the technology. We don't have the training. So you guys mm-hmm. were going through the same frustration. Yeah, especially that first that. year when we first got kicked out because that first few weeks, we didn't even have direction from the district because the district didn't know what they were doing. And they, you know, it has to trickle down to us <laughs> once they have a plan. And so that first, you know, the 2020, March 15th, 16th, you know, when we were told we we're not going back, um, there was a lot of like, arch, okay, what are we, what do we do to put the gas back on this vehicle and get it moving again? Right. And so, yeah, that's just, that was just the nature of the game. And my parents were a, a lot of them upset with our lack of being able to do anything for students. Um, but it was a lot of, we didn't have any direction. Right. Okay. Yeah. That that's one thing that I understood right away, but it's like, you, you want to blame somebody. And unfortunately, a lot of parents blame teachers, but it wasn't your fault. So as you went on through the school year and you came back to work, how was that different to the point where you thought I can do better? That's funny because it was probably the first day back before we even had students. I I knew that that I couldn't be in the environment. We were told that we had to wear masks and I actually, not only do I have very firm religious beliefs that I feel like that's a symbol to my faith. 
when I was pregnant with my daughter, um, after I had had her, I had a pulmonary embolism. So a blood clot in my lung and I lost a good portion of my lung capacity in my left lung. So I, um, and it, and then a constant asthmatic state, um, at all, at all times, I struggled to breathe. Um, sometimes just having a conversation for long periods of time <laughs> or walking long distances. And so I had always worn a visor and I felt like that was a very good middle ground um, because I felt like I was thinking about other people who might feel scared or nervous about me not having um, the ability to wear a mask. But I also felt like it was giving me the ability to take care of my own health and my feeling of, of feeling safe. So the first day back, we had to all meet in the cafeteria. Now the cafeteria is very large. We were all able to sit six feet away and there was still a ton of room between us and the speaker. Um, but we'd have, you know, the, the principals would come up and do something and speak on something and, you know, and they'd go through a little introductory onto the school year and what we can expect and talking about assessments. Well, one of the speakers was the school nurse and she came up and gave her, you know, her little spiel on COVID precautions and what we needed to do in the classroom and what our protocols were. And I felt a little bit weary about some of the protocols. Uh, you know, I, I kept mostly quiet because I knew ultimately what I was going to do and what I felt comfortable doing in my classroom and no edict from a school nurse or the principal was going to stop me. I start, I stated right away that I was not comfortable t- forcing kids into masks and I would never tell a student to get into one. Um, but this, the nurse proceeds to tell the entire staff, um, <laughs> granted, I'm the only person wearing a visor. I'm the only person in a room of over 100 wearing a visor. She proceeds to tell the entire staff after I asked her a question, which I can't even remember what the, the question is right now, but it was a very valid question. I think it was about disinfecting between students. And I, um, I was just, I was very concerned and I had a question about how to, something about her protocol. And I asked it out of genuine respect. And she, she said something at the end of answering my question about how how people with visors, if we got a, a teacher or a student with a visor, how they had to stay 10 feet away from that person, not six feet. Wow. And again, I was the only yeah. person wearing one. <laughs> and so I you immediately I was felt so, singled out. Oh, I was so taken aback. I couldn't believe it. And I, yeah, just, that was that. That was probably one of the first things. Okay. So how long from there to like, what was hindering you from feeling fulfilled like you normally felt? Well, I think it was mostly that, you know, I I always had my door open for my students when, you know, we would have transition periods. So I was opening the door to them coming in the classroom and I would see teachers outside yelling at students because they had their arm around their best friend or they were a little bit too close to their, you know, to a buddy Mm-hmm. And I'm um, yelling at them for their mask being a little bit too far down, you know, close to their nose. And I just knew that we weren't, we weren't focusing on education anymore. It wasn't about teaching kids anymore. Right. So at, at what point did you decide, okay, this isn't working. <laughs> I well, need you to know, do I something think, different. I think I had the idea of this long before, you know, I think I had the idea right when COVID hit and we were stuck at home for those months and not really able to do anything that it would be good to have a school that wasn't requiring masks because I knew that my district was going to. And so I had thoughts about it, but I didn't know how I was going to make it work. I think ultimately I was pretty scared that first year of, you know, jumping into that right away, but that the thoughts of cornerstone were brewing in my mind throughout the year. And, but ultimately it came down to when they changed their requirements for my kids 
to be able to um, wear visors and they're forcing them into masks despite their asthmatic condition and despite our religious beliefs. They wanted to put them into a mask and then they ultimately kicked them out of school without getting them in trouble for anything. So they weren't they weren't expelling or suspending them. They were, would just not let them come into the building. They're just and discriminating. So, yeah, it gave it gave me the inability to go in front of my school board, which they claimed to um, speak to my school board representative. Even though I tried, I went in and I tried to get into to there. They blocked my entry with police. And um, I just knew that, you know, I had to do something to educate my kids. They've been kicked out. And after they wouldn't let me speak to my school board representative, I felt very defeated. I mean, I had thrown a rally. I had a a little less than 100 people probably show up to that through a rally in the middle of the winter to try to get um, all parents' voices to be heard, but ultimately also my children to be let back to to school because they've been, you know, kicked out for several weeks. And then there was police waiting for me and they wouldn't let me go in. And I had to, um, I had to leave my job. They, um, made me take a, a short-term leave and um, with a pay cut to go and homeschool my kids for two months. And then when I came back, my husband took over homeschooling for the remainder of that year. And I just, I, I knew once my kids were kicked out that I was, I was starting something different. I just didn't know how I was, I was going to make it happen. But I knew that if I, I really dedicated myself to it, I knew just so many parents were in the same boat as I was and that I wanted to teach kids. And I know, I knew that people would see that I was genuine about that. And I I would hope that people would follow me and help me start something different. Wow. So then my understanding is that Ada County was pretty much the only county in all of Idaho that was requiring these mandates. Yeah, West Ada and Boise districts were pretty bad, both of those districts. And I know that Nampa and Caldwell have gone on and off of having mass mandates. So I know that, you know, there's been some districts around that have kind of been on and off, but there's been a lot like Middleton, I know has been really pretty consistent with not requiring them at all. And a lot of our Northern, you know, cities have not required them. And a, a lot of our numbers are worse in places where we're requiring them. So right. and they that's are. coming. <laughs> yeah. So you quit your job and then, so other people had quit their jobs, right? How did you get a hold of all these teachers that, well, actually, you know what, go ahead and tell me how you got the whole Cornerstone Learning Academy started. You know, ultimately, I was really scared to leave my job. And this was when I was going, I'm getting ready to go back to school. And I, I know that my kids aren't going to be able to go back to school. And I know my husband's going to be taking over for me. God bless him. <laughs> he's not, you know, he's not a teacher and he was nervous about it. And but he, he switched around his schedule to make that happen. But I was nervous for how I was going to, what I was going to do the following year. Cause I knew I didn't want to, I didn't want to sign another contract with the, the district. So I was reading a book at the time. Um, they're actually a book of four. It's a set of four books by an author named Florence Scovel Shin. She's a, she's a great author. She wrote back in the thirties, I think her writing is very um, re- relatable to the Bible. And she talks about how you can break down your walls of Jericho and how you can cross your Red Sea and how these stories in the Bible aren't just stories, but they're, they're stories that we can relate to our own life and we can make parallels between them and our own life so that we can break through our own adversities. And in the book, she says something about asking for a sign. If you're not sure what you're supposed to do, like if you have a, a tug in your heart that you're supposed to do something, but you don't know how it's supposed to happen. You ask the universe for a sign. And, you know, I'm at my wits end. I'm having to go back to school. My kids have been kicked out. 
And I, I felt very defeated, like everything that I had done with rallying against West Ada and gathering all those people, uh, like-minded people together to help fight for my kids, that it had been wasted energy and wasted time and it hadn't produced anything. So I, I felt very defeated at the time. So after reading this, I, I, I asked for a sign. And um, I, I just, I give it to God. And I, I say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I know that I, I feel in my heart that I'm not meant to be with West Aid anymore. And you're leading me somewhere else. I just don't know how I'm supposed to do it. <laughs> and um, I need a sign that this is what I'm supposed to do. And um, a couple of days later, my mom was actually visiting from Mexico. She moved down there to retire, you know, before the pandemic happened. She was in town going through some old boxes in her storage unit. And she brings me a letter for some reason. The universe tugged her to bring this letter to me that was written to my grandmother, who's uh, been deceased since 2005. And this letter was written in the 60s. So it's, you know, it's a 60-year-old letter. And she hands it to me. And as soon as the letter hits my fingertips, it's like buzzing. There's like electricity in this letter. Like I've never felt anything like it, you know, holding a piece of paper. And the first thing out of my mouth to my mom is there's something in this letter I'm I'm supposed to read. And I flip through the pages. There's four pages and I don't even glance. It's funny. I don't even really glance at the first three. I go to the last page and on the top, it says book three. And it doesn't say Florence Scovel Shin, (laughs) but as I'm reading it, I see that the person who authored this letter to my grandmother is quoting Florence Kovalshin's book that I'm reading. And I run to my room to grab, every time I say the story, I get goosebumps. (laughs) I run to the room to grab the book because I'm like, no, no way that this is the book I'm reading. And I open the book from Florence Kovalshin and I'm holding the letter in my hand. And the first page that I open up to has the quote, one of one of the quotes that I'm reading is on the very first page that I open. And I start just bawling. And my mom must have thought I was crazy. <laughs> I start bawling. I said, it's a sign. It's a sign. And um, I didn't tell my mom what I was up to because this was, I think, maybe March or so. I didn't tell my mom what I was up to for a couple months. But um, I started building Florida Stone and writing my registration forms and building my website. And um, just hinting to a couple people that I might be leaving my job. And um, by the end of April, I had decided what I was doing. And I told about 15 parents that had followed me during my West Ada rally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The thing that I thought hadn't hadn't produced anything, all the energy that I had spent the year before gathering all these parents. And I had thought, I had prayed, prayed that it wasn't you know, I hadn't done anything in my life and I was felt so defeated and like, I was just lost. <laughs> I just asked a couple parents if they would be willing to tell their friends that I was doing this <laughs> and I was full in a couple months. I'm sorry. This is a very emotional yeah. story for you. No, no. Yeah. Go ahead. And, and I was full within a couple months and I had all these parents that, but they trusted me and I, I made a place for my own kids too. <laughs> Yeah. As soon as I heard, I was like, babe, I told my husband immediately. I'm like, this is exactly what I want. This is exactly what I need. I need help, you know, with like-minded people. And then we had just moved here and we didn't know anybody. I'm like, and the kids need friends. And it was exactly what I was looking for as well. And I thought, oh my gosh, didn't I just talk to her like a few months ago? How did she get (laughs) started so quickly? So these, these, these uh, teachers that came and followed you, were they already, did they, ha- had they already quit? Were they already retired? Were they on the brink? Like what, where, where were they at? 
Yeah, you know, it's, I just feel like everything has been such a miracle. Every, every person that I've been able to find, um, every, the building that I found, um, being able to find funding for this, it's just been one miracle after another. And yes, I've had teachers that left the public school system. Um, I, I have uh, someone who does my STEM club and my IT, my IT does all my IT work. He actually comes and volunteers and helps us for free. And he's just a brilliant guy that just loves working with kids and teaching kids STEM and getting kids excited about mathematics. And um, he's also helped us with all of our internet and all of that, you know, all the stuff that I, <laughs> if, even if I had time to do it, I don't know how to. Right. So he's been a blessing. And um, we had, I had friends kind of come out of the woodwork that had followed me through my West Ada rally and asked to help come and support me by, by working with us. And um, one example is our PE instructor and um, one of my ad- administrative assistants, um, they followed me through, uh, you know, my West Ada stuff. And they've just been, they've been so supportive, uh, helping me get started. And, and then my teachers just, you know, they know that we don't want kids in that public school environment. So making the best of what we have here, they were all on that same mission. So yeah, my staff has just been a really big blessing, but a lot of them, yes, did have to leave, you know, the comfort of a, you know, an insured position and a salary position to come and work for a new, a a new venture. And so they're very brave and very lucky to have them. Right. Yeah. Cause yeah, when you stop and you think about it, like you have to be so brave to take that leap of faith and really it's, it's something that's going to fill your heart because you didn't become a teacher because, Hey, the schedule is great. And the money is great. Now you became a teacher because you want to help children and you want to develop those minds. And if you're too busy worrying about these mandates and keeping children apart and not letting them hug and, you know, and don't sneeze and don't do this and don't do that. Like, well, where's the education? How are they learning their, their ABCs? You can't when you're that, when you're nervous and scared and unsure, it's a bad environment to be in. Right. How long did it take you to put everything together into? Yeah, because you got full fast. I was probably working behind the scenes for a couple months before I put any word out, you know, because I made my registration forms and I designed my website, you know, making sure all the like the backbone of it was ironed out before I put it out to parents and told parents what I was doing so that I could answer all questions and have a really good vision, of, you know, in place and what my mission was and what what my goal was. So um, that I could get people on board, you know, staff too. And I told, I told parents that I was doing this before I even had my staff, you know, I was just like, I'm going for this. I'm going to find the people that I need. (laughs) And so it was just one, everything kind of felt like it was one leap of faith after another, because I didn't, I didn't have everything in place before I was taking the next step to, you know, get to where I am now. And a lot of it was very having to give to the universe, give it to God, because I don't know how I'm going to make this next step. Um, Because I didn't see a clear pathway, but knowing what my vision was and what I wanted to do for kids and help their families, it was just like I know that this is gonna it's gonna work out. (laughs) Every every step of the way, it ended up a miracle. Sometimes every time, because sometimes you couldn't even explain how it came to be. Just like here it is, here's this miracle, and it it just made me know that I was on the right path and that it was it was divine. It was divinely guided that this was supposed to happen. And um, it made the fear, even though it was still there, it made me, made me know that every time a miracle happened, I felt stronger in my vision and stronger that I could, the next battle, I could get through it because I, I put my faith and I knew, I knew that it was going to all work out in the end. And it's, it's a lot easier said than done. Even now it kind of gives me like, Oh, you know, thinking about having to give, give all your fears and to God and, and to the universe and to let 
let the universe have have that struggle and just take on take on your mission your life mission and what you're here to do and i believe that everyone every one of us has something that we're supposed to do when we're here and it's just a matter of a lot of a lot of our life is spent figuring that out (laughs) and i always knew i wanted to be a teacher (laughs) but um changing my community in this way is just like the cherry on top because i get to teach and but i also get to create this great place you know, for kids and for families to come together. We have so many families are so like-minded and they get together and they're going out and doing adventures or having sleepovers with their kids. And I just feels like we're really making a really close tight-knit community. So. Well, what I find very amazing about your story is that you had this vision and you're an amazing testament to having faith, just having faith and giving it to God and having him move these mountains and hills for you and bring in the people, your soulmates, your, your kindred souls that are there to help you achieve this goal. And you're helping them achieve their goal. And it's all a testament of faith and trust. Yeah. I, I, love, it. No I mean, love it. I am by no means the, the expert because um, sometimes I have to even tell myself that my presence of my fear is not a testament to my faith and whether or not I have faith, because I believe that you have to have fear in order to have faith in order to be brave in order to be brave. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very fearful a lot, uh, but I, I try to pray a lot too. I try to say, I want to be filled with knowing that you have got me and you know, things that I can't see. Right. And let me tap into that. And let me tap into that piece and help me you know, guide me to, to not be fearful. And I have to do that a lot. You know? So I'm definitely not the uh, like professional <laughs> Uh, always being full of faith because, but I, you know, I do, like I said, I tell myself that your fear is not, is not a measure of your faith, right. you know, being able to get through it and say, I still am giving this to God. I think that is the testament of my faith. Yes. Which is very inspirational. I think I need people to really understand how quickly you put this together and how quickly everything else fell into place as far as government funds, you know, for homeschooling families, as far as like how fast your, your facility filled up with students, you know, that was another blessing. Um, getting a partnership with, um, it is an online public school, um, but they are, we love TechTrep and there's a couple other programs, um, Overture and Harmony. Um, we're partnered with TechTrep and they help families get basically their tax, taxes back so that you can have parental choice in how you want to homeschool. So even though they're on online, they're public school, um, a lot of it doesn't necessarily need to be online because they give you funds to get into bridge programs like mine um, or co-ops or uh, do club activities. They have their own club activities or uh, like if you did a bridge program as, as my program is, it's kind of a bridge between their online program and having a real, you know, a real classroom and a real environment where you're learning with a teacher. And so you can use those funds for us. And that did really help change our, the face of our program because it made it possible for a lot of families that weren't able to necessarily afford a private program. Um, but we also do homeschool credential diplomas. So we can offer this online accredited diploma through TechTrep and parents can get these supplemental funds. But we have a lot of parents that want to break free of the public school system and are going completely independent in our program and can get a homeschool diploma from us when they go through the 12th grade and they graduate. And our program is very similar to public school. We're using the same type of curriculum. We have the same standards. We're teaching, you know, we're teaching the same common standards as you would get from the school system, um, but we're doing it in a little bit different way. So 
I really love how our program is a bridge between the two, but we also have that partnership with TechTrep that allows, you know, allows parents to have that flexibility <laughs> and the, the funds are, are kind of a game changer for a lot of families having access to that. Right. Yeah. Cause I had been doing homeschooling by myself. I didn't want to get involved with any other like, uh, internet schools or anything. Mm -hmm. So I was doing it all on my own. And when I saw your program thought, wow, well, this is more like a private school and I don't know if we can afford it. And then somebody mentioned, why don't you try tech trap and they'll help you along. And I was still very hesitant because I'm like, I don't want anybody knowing what I'm doing, but (laughs) It's not bad. You know, if anybody out there is on the fence about like, oh, I don't want to get government involved. This program isn't bad. It's it's they really do help you. They guide you. They you know, you're not out there twisting in the wind, not knowing what to do like I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And they, they give you a lot of resources, too, that are in addition to our program. And it's by no means required, too. So we do have a lot of families that they don't want to have the affiliation with them. But a lot of families, when they see how easy it is, you know, they do have required one state test for for certain grades. And then you, you do PLG uploads, which are just showing them that you're actually c- completing work. And it's only every two weeks. And just to show that you're actually completing work so that they um, it can then transfer that money to you for your taxes for educational purposes. So what have you found has been the best part of your program? Well, I love our program. I love how our program is it's baby years. It's still developing the vision behind it is so beautiful because it allows it allows families to have so much flexibility. They can have what would be seemingly like a full-blown public school system setting where it's Monday through Friday, a full program that covers all your core subjects, adds in you know specials classes like music and art and STEM. We have a variety of clubs that kids can be involved in. But I have a lot of families too that are coming from homeschooling environments even before before COVID and they're coming in for it to be more supplemental. So they're, they're only getting certain classes from us or they're coming in and just getting our activity days. So because we have this flexible schedule, it allows parents from all different backgrounds or coming from full-blown public school or coming from co-op or coming from homeschool that they can pick and choose what fits their needs best for education. I'd say our four-day program is our most popular and it's the one that I like the best too um, because it gives families an opportunity to do what we call like unschooling at home mm-hmm. where they can mimic our schedule and, and the standards that we're covering in class, but they can do it from home. So kids have an opportunity to say, hey, I'm really interested in learn, learning this or getting involved in this activity and they can do that on one of our Mondays and Fridays so that they can still be here on a four-day but take off one of those days so that they can do some learning at home and get really involved in something that they're excited about. And so I I like our four-day program, but our five-day program is very helpful for the mass exodus that has been happening Mm -hmm. out of the public school system where parents are like, I need a place that I know is safe for my kids and I need them to be in when I'm at work. And that's just the nature of the game. We have a lot of working families Mm -hmm. and they want to know that their kids are in a safe place and that they're learning and that they're having fun and they're making relationships and bonds and friendships. And they, they can do that here. And you can still know that even, um, even on our Mondays and Fridays, we're learning in a fun way, hands-on learning oriented where kids get to learn the skills, but we we learn more by doing. And Mm -hmm. so kids, they don't even realize on Mondays and Fridays sometimes that they're learning because they're having so much fun. And we get out of the building a lot more than a public school would. So we try to do excursions for each grade level once or twice a month mm-hmm. where we're, again, we're going somewhere where it's it's based in our standards, based in something that we're learning, but kids get to get out of the building. They get to see um, our beautiful city and you know what we have to offer here. 
we are working on a really awesome summer program, which will offer like life skill camps. So that is going to be kind of another thing that is going to be really cool about our program because our we offer really awesome clubs in the afternoon. And we want those clubs to be more um, in-depth and be offered at a longer interval so that kids, you know, if they've been in my home ec club, for example, all year, they want to join the home ec camp during summer. So they spend a couple of weeks with me learning how to, you know, make soap and make homemade chapstick and how to use uh, different herbs in our environment medicinally and make salves or tinctures. So it's getting kids really interested about something at a young age, because I think that our society right now doesn't offer electives and really cool activities until kids get into, into high school and sometimes a little bit in middle school, but mostly our really cool, fun electives happen in high school. And a lot of kids have no idea what they're into. And they're like, okay, maybe mm-hmm. I'll take creative writing or maybe I'll take photography. And they've, but they've never been exposed to it. So that's where our clubs come in at a young age. Kids can you know pick and choose what they're at, what they like. And then they know what they like by the time they get to middle school or high school. And they can really start honing in their skills and honing in their interests, get into that so that they can um, develop an, a trade or they can start thinking about a good college that they want to go to because they already know what they're really into. Yeah. One of the clubs that you have that I was like, what? That's a great club is learning how to garden because that's such a, that's a skill that everybody should know. And I wish I knew and I don't, but that you're offering it to children and they can learn. I'm like, wow, that is, that is a great idea is to garden and canning. You're also doing some type of canning and kombucha. I think I saw. Yeah, yeah, we have a couple community outreach classes that we're offering to adults too. Um, So we have a couple coming up, the fire cider, um, soap making, canning and pickling, which is an, you know, an important skill to have. And we also teach those in, in our club. So for example, a couple of weeks ago, my home ec club got to learn how to can and we, we pickled some spicy veggies. And so they learned two skills. They learned not only how to pickle, but how to can. And we've also made homemade deodorant in that club and we made homemade um, lotion. And so, yeah, some really fun things that the kids get get to do. And then we're all offer those as camps, but also we'll do community outreach so that adults can come in and learn how how to do those things. Like kombucha is one of my favorite drinks. Um, Sometimes it doesn't taste very good from the store because it's been on the shelf for too long and it gets a little bit bitter, but homemade kombucha is so good. It's sweet. You can do a whole bunch of different flavors. It's pretty easy to make once you master the process. And um, I love teaching people how to make kombucha. Yeah, that's interesting. And then it's important to have that skill right now, especially because with all the truck drivers that are going on strike with all the ingredients that we're not getting right now, I don't know how it is everywhere else, but I think everybody else is experiencing the same ingredient shortages. Yeah. And I got, I was kind of lucky because I got, I got into canning and food preservation and food foraging and learning how to make medicines and stuff yeah, that's another one. before COVID happened. That might've been God sent too. Um, but I just had this urge all of a sudden to learn about all of these different things a few years ago. And now I have a lot of skills that I can teach to my kids and my students and my families and um, food preservation is a big one. Um, I agree that, you know, learning how to can our, our kids should know how to can. They just should. Yes. What have you found to be the hardest, like unexpected hard thing that you had to deal with? Because you, you, you're not done with the first semester. You've only been open, what, three months? Yeah. And I think definitely the opening pains, the first weeks were the hardest, you know, trying to get our groove and figure out how we're going to use the space and setting schedules so that 
We're all using the building accordingly. Everyone knew where they needed to be and where they needed to go. And um, how, you know, how we're going to get students into the building and log them in. We had a really big technology issue with our login system. And so we kept on having to do paper and pencil each morning. And so now, now that we have that all seamless, it seems that things have slowed down a lot and we can spend more time focusing on how do we make our STEM program really awesome? Or, you know, what other cool clubs can we add in for next semester? Or how am I going to develop my summer program now? So now that we're first through these first few weeks, the first few weeks were kind of hard getting our groove. But now, now it's like we're into the, into that. We've got our system. It's more seamless. And so I, I feel like we can spend now more time on these other areas of need that we need to we really want to make this, this awesome. How do we do it? And now we can, we have time to do that because our, our building processes are, are figured out and structured. Okay, great. Is there anything else that you want to touch on or talk about? I'd like to end by just saying that I really, I want to help empower parents to feel like they can jump into something like this, even if it's not cornerstone. There are so many amazing educational options that are popping up around the valley. And my hope is that once cornerstone is sound and everything is running smoothly, and I know that I can leave my staff here and that everything will be good without me. My plan is to go and hopefully help people feel empowered across our state to open places that are similar to this, like pods or, you know, just out, maybe even out of the house or in a local church and to help parents feel empowered to take back education. Yeah. And that's amazing. Feel, not feel the, the pressure of having the kids to, you know, perfect at the ISATs or the SATs or so much mm-hmm. pressure on state testing. Kids can find their niche. They can find where they're supposed to be if we give them the resources and the ability to to feel free in their education. And and we, you're just not going to find that in a public school system because it's very cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very one size fits all. And um, even though they do have accommodations for learning differences, um, those accommodations are still very rigid. They have fit in their model, in the public education model. And um, I really hope that we can take that back and teach our kids life skills and still make, you know, science, history, English, and math, a very important part of our learning, but give them this enrichment on other things that can help build their character and make them better, they're better people. And also just survivalists. We need to, we need to teach our kids how to be survivalists and, um, and, and in a world where too. we might not, yes, yes. And in a world that might not have, you know, green beans or canned goods on the shelf next week, how empowering would it be to be able to, for our kids to be like, that's okay. You know, I just, I know how to can it or I, I can some this spring. I've got it in, in the pantry. So yeah. that's what I'm hoping. That would be amazing. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, I'd like to second that. Yeah. If you're not happy, if parents out there, you're not happy with your children's education, you can take back that power. It's just a matter of figuring out how it's going to work for yourself, for your family and around your work schedule. Because a lot of people think, oh, I have to spend eight hours homeschooling children. No, it takes like an hour and a half. You could do it after work. You could do it on the week. You could do like all of it on the weekends. You know, Mm -hmm. homeschooling will be a way that works for you and your family, or there are bridge programs out there like Cornerstone, which I, (laughs) I use because I get, I just, I just start getting onto tangents on history. I know a lot and that's my problem. I just, I go onto tangents and I'm like, I can't do this. I need somebody else to take over science and history for me. And I can, I can do math because there's no tangents on that. And I can do English, (laughs) you know, it's simple. (laughs) So yeah, Yeah. parents out there, take back your power and your children's education. 
Exactly. And we want to empower parents to, to feel like they can do that at what it, whatever capacity fits their, their personal needs. Because every family is going to be a little bit different. And our program isn't going to be a perfect fit for everybody. But there are so many different programs. And if our program isn't a fit, we want to reach out to other programs and help, help families feel like there's a way for any family to get out of public school and into these other programs. There's a way. So Jennifer's not done. You already, you still have plans on moving on and empowering other parents. That's oh, amazing. Yeah, I, I know. I really want to buy some land too. Um, that's not too far out of town so that we can have outdoor like building camps and um, teaching kids how to forage for food. Cause we have so yes. many medicinal and edible plants in our local environment, right. teaching kids how to find them. Yeah. I'll just, sign and just life skills, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of land, um, just like a few acres of land in a, kind of a more remote area where you have some forest nearby it would be an, an awesome addition to our program. That would be amazing. I'd sign up. Yep. <laughs> I'd be there. I'm volunteering. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. Yeah. We love having your girls and thank you for inviting me to the podcast. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Oh, well, thank you so much for making time for me. And this is a great inspiration. I know that this is going to touch several people out there and hopefully we can just take back our children's education and make the school districts be better. And if not, then take their taxes away by taking out your kids. Exactly. Yeah, that's my hope too. All right. Well, thank you so much. I will see you later, actually. Okay. Yeah, we will. I will see you later. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, share it with a mom friend. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to Chapters of Motherhood podcast. You can rate and review on Apple Podcast. You can leave me a voicemail message on Anchor FM. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at Chapters of Motherhood or Twitter at Mother Podcaster. Thank you so much for listening. I am your host, Veronica. Tune in each week to find your chapter of motherhood.